Hey, for those of you who are, are joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're here uh, joining us, and, uh, and we're trusting that God is going to move. We're continuing on a service, our series, which is called KISS. Um, keep it simple, saint. We will keep it at that. Keep it simple, saint. Why is this so important? And I think this is the third, third message in, the, uh, in this series. Why is it so important to keep it simple? Because I believe that there is sanity in simplicity. There is. That there is emotional health when we keep the aspects of Christianity and faith and why we love Jesus um, to the simple things. And through church, it is because of a complex issue that people have done instead of just simply serving Jesus. And it reduces our faith to the things that Jesus actually asked us to do. So it's important to keep it single. We basically would like to expose the cult of complexity. Well, what do you mean by the cult of complexity? Well, I believe that sometimes complexity will veil the important things of God. Complexity is what we resort to when we don't want to do what is simple. And so what we do is instead of doing what God actually asked us to do, we will do secondary things. We will major on the minors to kind of make ourselves feel good. Complexity is what makes you feel like a Christian when you actually don't want to live like a Christian. Ouch. Complexity, complexity is the pacifier of the Pharisee. It causes them to feel righteousness without actually doing what Jesus tells us um, to do. So it's important to get back to the simple things, especially during this time especially as we're doing everything we can to serve Jesus in a very complex time. It's important to stay with the simple things. Um, in my journey, and what brings me to some of these things, is the times when God speaks to me at different times. And um, I know that uh, many of us aren't able to get to all the camp messages. I know I don't. Um, but on the Labor Day weekend, uh, one of my favorite pastors and one of my favorite speakers, Lori Gibbons, was speaking. And, and growing up in ministry, he was always kind of my overseer. And so he was kind of like the mentor to me. He's a fantastic speaker. And, and so on the Friday of the, uh, the Labor Day weekend, he was there and he's talking about the, the importance of service and serving the Lord and, uh, and taking on the form of a servant. And he tells this story. And I know I'm not going to get it absolutely right, but you will get the gist of it. He was talking about one time he was trying to get some speakers and, and uh, he was going to have uh, his friend Rich Wilkerson, who is a very big name in Pentecostal circles, especially in America. And uh, he was going to get his son just gotten out of Bible college and they were going to ask him to speak at a camp. And he said, let him come anyways. We'll, we'll see what God has in store uh, with, this, with this young, young, just fresh out of Bible college student. And to start his evening and to begin to talk, he talked about the fact that he... He did his internship, and, and because the Wilkerson's and the, the Buntains are kind of, uh, there's relations between the two, the kind of families are kind of connected together in, through relationships. He said he went to his, his aunt, who was overseeing the work in Calcutta, and so he had a year of internship, and when he was at the year of internship, he was asking his aunt what he was supposed to do, and she said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to to go to the, to the leprosy ward of the hospital that we run. And every day, every morning, what I want you to do is I want you to get up and I want you to bathe those people with leprosy. And then what I want you to do is I want you to change their 
bandages and then put them back in the bed and care for them. And his thinking was, I don't know if I really want to do that, Auntie. And he said, why? You, you came here to learn ministry. This is ministry. And he said, for that full year, every morning I got up and I picked up people with leprosy and I bathed them and I changed their bandages. And he said, and Lord Gibbon said, the rest of the weekend when he spoke at camp, he had them. How can you argue with something like that? And as I was sitting there listening to that story, I was comparing my attitude. And I come to a realization that sometimes the things that we deem as important ministry may not be the same as what God sees as important ministry. Right? Have you found that? If you have found that, could you please do me a favor? Don't shoot the messenger. Because I think this is an important thing for us, is it not? Um, I think we're at a point where I think God wants to do something in his church. And we have a choice as to whether we are actually going to be doing the simple things that will actually make a difference. Or whether we remain on the miracle round of ministry, which may not actually be ministry. I like the way, I like the way um, Kyle Eidelman says it in his book, Not a Fan. And if you've never read the book, it's a great book to, to have. If you haven't seen the series, it's on Right Now Media. If you don't have Right Now Media, you can get it free from us. So... But in this, he tells a story in the book, and, and actually as he, he, he gives the presentation, and he, it's in the story form, acting story form, he said, he said can, imagine if you could, if you're leaving for three weeks on a vacation, and, and you have uh, people, friends over, and you write a detailed letter to them and say, this is exactly what I would like you to do. You know, you need to feed the fish, and, and you need to change the water for the fish once a week. That would be great so that it can survive. You know, also, if you could walk the dog, because the dog doesn't like to walk, and, and if he keeps eating, then it's not going to be in good shape. You know, um, if you could take out the garbage once a week, the garbage is important because it means Wednesday's the day it goes out. If you could take it out, it would be great. And, and, and the sub pump, sometimes you need to watch the sub pump, you know, make sure it's working, because if not, it can flood. And so you go away for your two weeks and you give them the letter, which is detailed, telling them everything that they need to do. And you come back. And as you get out of the car, you smell something. And you look over and you see these garbage cans heaping over, flies all around. And, and as you go into the house, you look at the fishbowl and you see this fish in cloudy waters floating on the top of the water. You hear the bursting of flooding taking place because the sump pump wasn't turned on and and the dog's kind of rolling around because he was never, ever walked, and now his belly is bigger than his legs, and it's just kind of floppling around there. And you see your friends, and they come out and say, oh, I'm so glad that you're back. I am so impressed with your letter. The letter that you wrote was so eloquent. It was so good. It was so wonderful. As a matter of fact, we've gotten a bunch of people over, and we have developed a small group, and what we've done is we've looked at the letter, and we've kind of went over the letter, and the letter's so wonderful, and I just want to thank you for this wonderful letter. So what would you say? Same thing God kind of tells us as well in his word, and there's certain things in scripture, come on, there's certain things in scripture where Jesus begins to talk to us, and he says, you know, 
done all these things in your name. Yeah, but if it, have you visited the poor? Have you, have you been there with the prisoner? Have you done these things for the least of these? And, and I begin to take a look and, and examine my life in the light of that. And, and I begin to say, well, what if Jesus wasn't kidding? What if Jesus actually meant what he wrote in his word? And so these are important things to talk about. Keeping it simple, say, rethinking the way we do things is extremely important. And this complexity is seen throughout scriptures. It is seen in the book of James. When he says, you know, if you say you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue, if you're not visiting the fatherless and widows and their affliction, your religion is vain. We talked about that like three weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Good Samaritan, what Jesus was actually saying and the challenge that he has for us. It's impossible to do that. But if we surrender to Jesus, eventually we become that person that can do it. But it's not just seen there. It's seen in some of the most impactful passages of Scripture that we kind of see as something else, but actually it is God calling us back to this thing which I call simplicity. It is seen uh, particularly in the book of Corinth. Actually, it's kind of a tale of two churches if you take a look closely at the New Testament. Like there's the story of uh, Corinth, and there's the story of a church in Thessalonica. And both of them were kind of similar. They're both established near the same time during Paul. I believe it's a secondary missionary journey. They're both capital cities. They both had a major port. They had huge and great economies. They had Jewish people that had settled in both, but they had also cults and mystical Eastern religions that were in both. Both of them had two letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. But there were differences. And what God was saying to the Corinthians had to deal with certain issues of the lifestyle, certain issues of their behavior. First Thessalonians, they had issues having to do with the end times. There were a lot of people in Thessalonica at that time that thought that Jesus had already returned and that we had kind of missed out. And so Paul begins to teach along those lines. But there was one thing that he mentions in both of the epistles, the, both of those, the letters, that kind of interweave in both churches. But the issue was that they are both at two different ends of the continuum. You see, the Corinthian church, they, they had all these wonderful things that were happening in their services and the gifts of the Spirit were being manifest and there were prophetic words and there were words that happened, people speaking in tongues and almost to the level of chaos. But the thing is, as you look at this letter, Paul doesn't say, hey, you were wrong in all the things you're doing. Basically said, all things are done in an orderly fashion. And this is what you need to do. And here's some of the areas that, that need to be fixed as you go about this. Thessalonians says this. Don't despise prophecies. Determine what the will of God. And so you had one church that was seeing all these wonderful things happen. And yet because of their selfishness and their rudeness and their arrogance, they're missing out. And another church who saw things happening, but right at the very beginning is saying, that's not the Spirit of God, that's not the Spirit of God, that's not the Spirit, let's stop that right now. You're drawing attention to yourself. And so what ends up happening is they never see it happen because they quench it before it even starts. And Paul's saying, don't do that. And the one is just as arrogant as the other. 
And I'm glad that we agree on all this spiritual stuff today. Amen? Isn't that wonderful that that, that is... No? Even in the church, and let's not even talk about Pentecostals and people who are non-charismatic, even within the Pentecostal church and charismatic churches, there are a group of people who are very zealous for prophetic ministry and for God moving and for the moving of the Spirit and waiting on God to see God do wonderful things. And there are other people who are, but sometimes they have questions about that. They don't know. They're, they're a little bit more afraid to, to, to classify it what they other people think that it is. And I have had people say, Pastor Mike, you're far too Pentecostal. You're allowing too much. And I've had people say, Pastor Mike, you're not Pentecostal enough. You're missing out. As a matter of fact, I think I've had three say one and I've had three say another. So I kind of figure I'm in the middle. Maybe not. And so you're left asking yourself a question. What is right? What is the right way to go? How do you resolve this? And I don't know if we'll ever resolve it. I believe this will always be in the church. And sometimes we have to celebrate it and allow God to move and do whatever we can to teach and to uh, allow the Spirit of God to move and, and train people. There's just so many things that we can do that are important for us to do. But the question, in, in the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about all this stuff having to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he talks about prophetic. He talks about gifts of the Spirit. So he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14. And what do you have in between the two? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You know that chapter. It is perhaps one of the most famous passages in Scripture. Almost every wedding that I've gone to, they have made a quotation that if Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and he's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 14, that chapter 13 has something to do with spiritual gifts. Is that not, is that not, does that not make sense? And so, I think what Paul is doing is addressing the idea of complexity and what is really important in this particular passage of Scripture. So if you, if you have the time, let me just read the passage of Scripture, which many of us know quite a bit. This is what he says. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all ministries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And it says, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It is not, does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not re rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there's prophecies, they will fall. Fail, sorry. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. 
But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abides faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Not going to be the deepest outline that you will have. There are probably people who have gone a lot deeper than I have. There, I'm sure that you could do a whole series on this chapter alone. I kind of want to show you what Paul is actually doing, the message that he is trying to get to the Corinthian church. And if the Thessalonians are in there, he's probably talking to them as well because it means the same thing at the end. And I want to kind of do it in three different ways. I want to talk about the first part, which is called the commotion. And then he talks about the comparison, and then he talks about the constant. So we'll just go with the first one, which basically is what we will call the commotion. This is what he says. If you don't have love and you're doing all these things, it is like what he calls a clanging symbol or a resounding symbol. The literal, tempt- the, the, the literal interpretation is like bashing a symbol. Just hitting as hard as you can. An unpleasant noise. I remember when my son was like five years old and I was wanting to get him into music because it was already apparent that he was a superstar when it came to music. And, and I wanted to share this with the world, obviously. Everyone could see it already. And, and so there was a particular place in the town that was about an hour away and they had this special every Christmas. And you had the, the special that was from 10 o'clock till midnight, and they had just, just these huge, huge sales. And it was right near Christmas, and I kind of go for one thing, and as I'm going for, for, to look at the thing that I needed to pick up, I see in the corner this red set of junior drums. Like, they're like these type of drums, but they're like for a little kid. And I'm thinking, well, 70% off. Obviously. God has something in store for my son. And so I bought these, thinking this is a great thing. But I come to realize afterwards that God was actually revealing to me this verse of Scripture of a clashing symbol, of a resounding symbol. Because all of a sudden, you know, before it gets better, it's not very good at all. And, 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 and so this is what Paul is kind of saying about and And think about this. He mentions in this first part, verses 1 to 3, he mentions four gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, prophesy, knowledge, and faith. And I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that these were the spiritual gifts that they were having the problems with the most. They were thinking that these are the top level of the gifts. But not only does he do that, he talks about gifts of service. If I give absolutely everything to feed the poor. He talks about gifts of sacrifice. If I give myself to be burned at at the altar, and at that particular time, there was no worse thing than being burned. Probably even to this day, there's probably no worse thing. He was showing the most impressive acts that you could possibly do and saying, it doesn't matter if you don't have love. In essence, what he was saying is, sometimes we switch the price tag. 
Sometimes we put high value to the things that aren't as valuable as the thing that is most. Either that or they are of high value, but they mean absolutely nothing if they're not combined with love. He says it's all commotion. You don't have love thing there. doesn't mean anything at all. And then from there he goes to what I will call the comparison. And when we talk about um, the comparison, he's not really given a definition of love. Many times we think this is the perfect definition of love, and it may have turned out that way. But that's not what Paul was doing. What Paul was doing was he was taking the template of love and he was comparing it to the situation. He was using it as a grid to show exactly what the Corinthian church was not doing. That's why when you look at that passage of Scripture, he talks in love about in terms of what it is not. You know, love is, love is not puffed up in wrongdoing. It does not suffer long. It, 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 it suffer, it's unwilling to suffer long. It has its own way. It's rude. It, 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 it keeps records of wrongs. And this is exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. They were puffed up, yet there was sin that was happening in that church that no other church or even in the world was doing, that there, was, that there were people suing each other. They were comparing one leader with another. They were, they were going and having communion. We're going to have communion afterwards. And when they had communion, what they did is, um, is they came without their, with their meal, and some people ate, and other people starved to death. And he's saying, look, look at love, and look what you are doing you're saying there's some gifts that are better than others. You're envious of people who have some gifts and you're, you're, you're not even including some of the gifts because you think that they're second rate because you're kind of so caught up with all this stuff. And he says, this is, this is the comparison. That's basically what he's doing. And as I thought about that, I asked myself, I kind of, I kind of to myself said, so if I were to put that same grid, if I were to put that same template over my life, what would that look like? What would be some of the things that Paul would be saying to me or to us today? Love doesn't get angry unnecessarily. Love's not impatient. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's a big one, don't you think, that love keeps no record of wrongs? Someone hurts us. We sit there and say, bygones are bygones, but I'm not going to forget what you did. And it will come up at the opportune time if I ever have an argument with that person again. And so there's a comparison. Basically is what he's saying. If you don't have love, here you are having all these wonderful things happen. If, it's not, if, not, if it doesn't go through the, the process, the test of love, you're missing the whole point altogether. And then the third thing he does is he goes on. Is he, he goes from the comparison to what I will call the constant. Because all of a sudden he goes from saying what love is not to saying what love does all the time. You know, he begins to say, love, love always, um, I'm sorry, I got myself mixed up here. He, he says, love always um, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And he says, there's a guarantee in the constant that at the end of all things, we have to, if we strip it all away, then the constant is love. And if you don't have the constant and you strip it all away, then you have absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter all these other things that you're doing. If you don't have that constant at the end of the day, 
you are bankrupt. I remember when um, I was pastoring in, um, in the Western Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and um, they had almost lost their Bible college. It was called, it was called um, Master's Bible College. Um, it used to be called Eastern Pentecostal Bible College when, when I was there. But they had made a decision to move to Toronto and they had lots of good reasons uh, for doing so. And, and it was an opportunity for people not to have to migrate uh, to Peterborough and that there was lots of more opportunities to do, to do practical ministry. And it was done at the worst time possible. And so all of a sudden, they were at a point where within 24 hours, within hours, they were going to lose the Bible college. They were going to lose everything. You know, when that's like hundreds of churches that depend on leaders um, from that Bible college. And I remember talking to those people who were on the inside, and the one person said, you know what it caused us to realize? You all of a sudden realize what's important when you're about to lose everything. All of a sudden, those things that you thought were important, those points of, of difference, mean absolutely nothing when it's all about to go. Is it true? If you go to the doctors this week, and hopefully you don't have a doctor's appointment so I don't compare this to you. If you go to a doctor's appointment and say, it's a lot worse than I thought. Um, as a matter of fact, this disease that's in you has deteriorated so much that you have two days to live. Now, what would happen if that were the case? If you all of a sudden had two days to live, you would be super good at managing your time. And you would do the things that were absolutely necessary and the most important things for you. And Paul is basically saying, there is a constant. And if you don't have the constant, and if you don't go to that constant, when all is said and done, when we get into heaven and the eternal perspective is there, if you don't have that eternal perspective, you will have done a whole lot of things and gotten to heaven and realized that you are doing all the wrong things. Does that not make sense? It's like, it's like if you're on a boat and that boat is sinking and you're throwing everything off that boat. And if you don't throw everything off that boat, you will die. And so what you do is you get to this wonderful oak counter which is there and, and you're saying, let's get it, let's pull it off. And he says, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. This is a beautiful finished oak cabinet. You don't realize the carpenter who had spent all this time in this wonderful oak cabinet, he put everything into that. Well, we either throw that old cabinet into the sea or we die. What are you going to do? Give me a hand so I can throw this cabinet into the water. Right? And you see what happens and what Paul is trying to say is you may not understand this now. And I want you to understand it now before you get to heaven. Like we see things through this kind of dim glass, this kind of cloudy mirror. But when it comes down to it, what is going to matter is how you loved. Let's keep it simple. It comes down to what you love. When I, when, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be measured by the quality of sermons I preached. Did I preach well? No. Did you love well? That's the real question that gets asked of us. And you see, the Bible... The Bible's not about us asking questions of God. The Bible is more God asking questions of us. 
And so how do we do this? You got faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love. Well, how come love is greater than faith and hope? Well, hope is something you do on your own. Faith is something you do on your own. Love is something where you have to have other people involved. Faith and hope have the root in the love. It's an important thing. I think that this is an extremely important thing for us to understand. That's why Jesus says, hey, by this law, everyone is going to know that you're my disciples. If you love and how you love one another. And that's the template with which we approach spiritual gifts. Because I know there have been times where, oh, maybe I messed up or, or this. But at the end of the day, spiritual gifts, all those things mean nothing if we're not loving people well. And I believe that we are at a point in, I was going to say the pandemic, but it's even before the pandemic because there's been a massive change in culture and advancement of knowledge and social interaction and all that. But it has revealed a vital flaw in the North American church. That we have been good and gotten very good at loving and serving Jesus. Yet at the same time, we haven't been so good at actually loving people. And the thing is this, the two are inseparable. There's a monk. His name was called John the Dwarf. (laughs) And someone was talking to him about things. He said this, you build a house, you don't build the roof first. You start with the foundation. He says, the foundation is loving your neighbor. And if you're not loving your neighbor, every commandment of God depends on on this. If we get good at practicing love for other people in the church and out of the church, I believe that the Spirit of God moving, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, the operating of the gifts of the body, all those things will never be in question. They'll never be questioned. Because it will be so authentic and it will be so real. And it will be based on the foundation of people actually loving each other. That there won't be that question at the end of the day. Um... You can't seek one without employing the other. You know, if you get love right, you will get spiritual gifts right. That's what he says. You need to keep it simple. What would happen? What would happen if we got good at loving? Even if it was just loving one another. Let's not even talk about the world and our our neighbors and that. What if we got good at loving one another? What if we abandoned every other effort and pursued that alone? What would that look like? How would we respond? God, we are going to take communion, and um, I'm praying for the presence of God to move during this time because, God, ultimately, I want to be doing, and we're wanting to do exactly what you called us to do. And Lord, as I took a look at, you know, the ministry I did this week, God, you're calling me. You're challenging me to get it simply down to loving people. If I don't do that, I don't do anything else well. So I pray, God, that you will bless and minister and move and do great things. Your power will be manifest as we join together. We've been singing about the cross. Well, I just pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit will be with us as we share together in communion. Um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we have this, again, for those who haven't or just kind of new, there's kind of a, a clear cellophane, which kind of has the emblem of the bread or the representation of the bread anyways. It talks about the broken body of Christ. partake together. Praise you, Father. And as we open up the uh, emblem, the grape juice, which represents the blood that was shed on the cross for us. Can we just take a little space of time? Think about the work of Christ. Think about his hand in our lives. Father, we worship you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, something you have never wanted us to wane on in anything. Everything centers around the cross, you dying, loving us so much. I pray for the presence of God to move. Let's partake together of the emblem which represents the blood of Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. We exalt you. We give you thanks. We praise you, Lord. God, move, move in our lives in a way which is amazing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.